This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas Association of Community Colleges. Texas Community Colleges are the state's economic engine for recovery. Our colleges provide credentials that meet regional and local workforce demands. To learn more, visit TACC.org. And Texas Farm Bureau. Find affordable health coverage through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. For more information or to get a quote, go to tfbhealthplans.com or call 877-500-0140. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for October 31st, 2022. We're coming a couple days late for you this week, but happy Halloween to everyone. I want to say before we get kicked off, this this Monday's podcast is, is taking the place of last Friday's podcast, but we're going on a little different schedule for the podcast in the next couple of days. We'll have another one on Friday, kind of previewing the election. And then in the middle of next week, the day after election day, we will have a live trip cast at the Texas Tribune studios in which we will discuss the results of the election and how everything shook out. That will uh, be um, open to uh, you know uh, supporters of the Tribune, people who want to come watch us live. We'll also be landing in your podcast feed that Wednesday, so look out for us then. In the meantime, today we're going to talk a little bit about politics and a little bit about churches in politics. On Sunday, October 23rd, the day before early voting started in Texas, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick gave two sermons at Grace Woodlands, which is a big church outside of Houston. Later that day, he joined Pastor John Hagee at Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, for the 41st annual Night to Honor Israel. The appearances drew drew howls from Democrats who point out that tax-exempt churches are banned from directly participating in federal campaigns. Patrick and the churches uh, likely would push back against that characterization, noting they were just participating in worship, as they do most Sundays. But to the extent that it did overlap with politics, you know, or, or or whether it did, in fact, violate that federal law, it's unlikely that anything would have happened. The recent story from the Texas Tribune and ProPublica shows that only a tiny number of churches have been investigated in the past decade for violating that law. Jeremy Schwartz is the author of that story, and he's going to be joining us today to talk about it. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for being here. Happy Halloween, and uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be yeah. here. And also joining us to talk about this and other things is James Bettergon, the our political reporter. Hey, James. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks. Thanks. All right. So, Jeremy, I want to start with you. Before we get into this kind of deeper conversation about how this is enforced, please just explain to me what the law actually says about churches and what they can or cannot do around campaigning, you know, any time of the year, but especially this time around when, when people are actually voting. Yeah, so uh, this is a law that's been on the books for about 70 years, Um, and parts of it are fairly clear-cut and straightforward, and parts of it do get a little tough to interpret, and the IRS puts out pages-long guides for churches to sort of help them navigate some um, some of the elements of this, but there are a couple of things that are are. Uh, absolutely prohibited. And one of them is making an endorsement of a political candidate from the pulpit 
during a service. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, 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 you know, laid out there in, in the IRS code. It gets a little murkier when it comes to candidate uh, invitations to speak mm-hmm. to a congregation, to putting out voter guides. Churches can put out voter guides. Mm-hmm. Um, they can hold candidate forums. Um, but it has to be done in in a way that uh, does not explicitly make it obvious that the church is supporting a specific candidate. Um, And one other thing that's sort of like, I I think it's a little misunderstood about it. uh, These restrictions that are sort of called the Johnson Amendment don't prevent pastors or churches from taking stands on political issues. You know, you can talk about abortion. um, You can talk about border security. Um, but there is a big difference between talking about issues and talking about specific candidates. Sure, absolutely. So to, you, one of the st- examples you cited in your story was six uh, or, or uh, last year, sorry, six days before the runoff election last year in Frisco, where Brandon Burden, uh, you know, gave some gave his opinions on the local city council elections at Kingdom Life Church. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened there? Uh, yeah, so that was a sermon, as you say, uh, right uh, right before this runoff election. Um, and Pastor Brandon Burden is no stranger to politics or controversy in, in Frisco. He had uh, come on a lot of people's radars a few months previously, uh, talking about uh, sort of urging his his congregants to stock up on food, uh, to to be armed uh, ahead of the Biden inauguration. Um, so fast forward a few months, a few more months, and uh, Pastor Burden uh, was talking about the need to bring uh, conservatives into the city council there in Frisco, um, and he, as he told his uh, his flock, uh, he quote had a candidate that God wants to win um, and a mayor that God wanted to unseat. Um, The mayor part wasn't actually a Johnson Amendment violation because the mayor was not up for election. He was he was supporting uh, uh, the opponent of Burden's chosen candidate. But the part where he uh, told his folks that uh, Jennifer White was the candidate that she she was God's preferred candidate uh, was a violation, um, and uh, sort of one of several times in you know recent months and years uh, where uh, sermons at Kingdom Life have gotten incredibly uh, political, um, in, in sometimes in ways that that may violate, and sometimes in ways that don't. But I think it is a example uh, 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 and possibly an extreme example of a church that um, is seeking to influence elections uh, locally and uh, and perhaps uh, nationally. Is, is there any indication that this is happening more frequently or 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 is that too hard to tell? 
It, it's a little hard to tell. Um, uh, you know, a lot of it sort of comes anecdotally. You know, there's nobody who is, um, you know, tracking all the sermons. I, I, I think it's something like 300,000 um, churches, or maybe, you know, church sermons per week. And so there's there's no way that anybody is, is tracking that. Um, but, you know, the experts we talked to told us that there has definitely been a shift in, in sort of tone and aggressiveness and, and brazenness in some churches that's been noticeable since uh, the Trump administration. Uh, and, and President Trump made the removal of this, of this prohibition of the Johnson Amendment sort of a, a cornerstone of his appeal to uh, evangelical leaders and, and evangelical voters. And he tried to get rid of it through executive action, executive order, um, was not successful. That's, you, you can't take away a congressional, congressionally passed law through, through an executive order. Um, but he sort of, um, sort of gave the impression, I think, to some, some politically minded pastors that the Johnson Amendment really isn't something that they need to be worried about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, uh, uh, Jeremy, one of the things that I thought, I, I certainly think, you know, just from being a churchgoer myself, um, and also from living in this world and from reading your story, I certainly think it's gotten a lot more strident, the, the actual politicking from the bully pulpit. Uh, I think one of the great examples from your story was the fact that uh, some preachers were recording themselves, correct, and sending their sermons to the IRS, basically saying, try me, like, let, let's do it, to attempt to overturn through the courts the Johnson Amendment, which just shows you how far I think they're willing to go and how brazen they are um, in this. So I don't know, just, just from my perspective, from being a churchgoer, it, it does seem like it... Uh, in recent, like when I was a kid, this would never happen, um, or at least not not in the way it's covered now. But it, it does seem to have gained a lot of uh, a, a, a lot more brazenness. Yeah, yeah, and that effort that you're you're talking about, which is called Pulpit Freedom Sundays, um, you know that that a few years ago was sort of the heyday of that, and that absolutely was that was that was a an effort with the with the goal to try to get the IRS to challenge one of these churches um, that they could then turn into a lawsuit and the hope being that the Supreme Court would rule it, the, the Johnson Amendment, unconstitutional. And I think that remains a goal. That that effort itself has wound down. Um, and, I, and I think some of the, you know, sermons that we're seeing you now sort of in recent months, and as Matthew alluded to, like even this past weekend um, aren't really about trying to make a point or, or try to spark a, uh, a, a legal decision, but they are, are part of the attempt to, to win uh, elections. I mean, this is, it's, it, it does become uh, about power in that way. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, are we're, we're talking about somewhat of a meaningless distinction here, whether it's, you know, if you invite a someone who's up for election on the day before people can start voting in that election, you know, maybe mention we're not endorsing this person, but here we are to, you know, tell you, uh, um, you know, 
here, here we want you to hear what he has to say or, or, or whatever it is you say on that ballot. How much difference does that make compared to stand and stand this? And I mean, there's somewhat of a sort of implicit endorsement in, in inviting them to speak on that day. Yeah, a lot, a lot depends how they do it. And there are a lot of places you point out that um, will will begin their, uh, you know, introduction of a candidate or or discussion of a candidate by saying this is not an endorsement yeah is just to get that out of the way this is not an endorsement and then they will go on to praise and support that candidate and the experts we talked to um you know were were each one of them very clear like just saying this is not an endorsement is not some magic bullet that prevents it from being an endorsement <laughs> Uh, you and you, we have churches here in, in North Texas that have done this regularly over the last couple of years uh, in a very coordinated way with other uh, churches. Um, and this would be Gateway um, up in North Texas, uh, you know, where they say we are, uh, we're not endorsing anybody, but here are the people that are running for, and these were mostly local elections that are members of the family of churches. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, it's not an endorsement. We, we spoke with some of the uh, opponents, uh, other candidates in those races, who most definitely felt like it was an endorsement uh, and a huge help for their, uh, for, for the candidates that, that were listed uh, on those screens inside those churches. And that somehow it was a statement um, that the other candidates were were somehow less worthy than the ones who were named on those screens. So, so that's a practice that has seems to be catching on, um, sort of with impunity, and, and it seems to me one of the places where, like, you know, it, it, if the IRS is going to say something. That would be, you know, at some point the IRS, with these sort of endorsements becoming more common, you know, sort of needs to lay down, you know, where it's going to step in in the future. It it hasn't done it in so long. I think there is a sort of massive misunderstanding, lack of understanding what the Johnson Amendment does. And the IRS has has really not uh, filled that gap for for quite some time. Well, well, let me ask you this too. I mean, this we live in an era where so much is political, right? Um, where basic sports are political, religion is political. You know, everything you can think of, entertainment. Um, you know, all different sorts of things. We also live in a world where what it happens at the state capitol and then in the u.s capitol and in the white house and so many other places affects things that people in religious communities care deeply about i mean um abortion of course is one but you know so many others uh pr- you know there are there are many people in in churches who are very concerned about you know prayer in school and and, and how that can cannot be practiced or uh you know racial equality in, in in all different ways from all different areas i mean what is actually wrong with churches getting involved with politics what what was the design of this why why is this rule in place in the first place yeah it's sort of two different um answers to that question um 
that, that hopefully will, will become clear as we talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what the rule does, what, what, it, what it accomplishes, um, it, the rule is actually quite popular among religious leaders, um, sort of across the spectrum, um, many of whom came out and opposed. There was an effort in 2017 to overturn the Johnson Amendment uh, in Congress. And one of the things they will tell you is that this prohibition protects them from sort of being pulled into this world of, into this political world more than they might want to, puts pressure on them to make endorsements um, and and to play that role in a way um, that is going to alienate, potentially alienate a good percentage of their congregation. There are still congregations, believe it or not, that are politically diverse. Um, And, uh, you know, leaders of those congregations see, you know, uh, the idea that that a church leader would be expected to endorse as as really problematic. Um, If you were to remove it and, and sort of make these endorsements more common, um, what folks have told us is that you would it would just accelerate that polarization that we have uh, in, in our world and, and that you do see in a lot of, to be fair, in a lot of churches. There are definitely a lot of churches that are, you know, probably 95 percent Republican, 95 percent Democrat, but that 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 would just accelerate that trend, um, which really has been so so damaging um you know for for democracy in general the 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 polarization and that lack of that that middle ground for people to come together and churches at one time played an important role in being a place where people from different parts of the political spectrum could come together um and so to lose that would would you know would do something to us i think as a as a country um yeah, it, it's also true, though, that churches have played a, a a big role in some of the most important political movements in the country. Right. It's, for instance, the civil rights movement. And of course, you know, something that you mentioned in your story is the souls to the polls. Right. Where black churches, you know, drive men, mem, many members of their congregation to go vote on Sundays, you know, in that early voting period in order to ensure greater turnout and everything like that. So. So why is this something that is, you know, widely viewed by many people as acceptable in that circumstance, but not in other circumstances as, as the ones you've described before? Yeah, no, that's a big, um, you know, you talk to some of the conservative leaders of, of, of the movement to, to get rid of the Johnson Amendment. And this is one of the things that they point to all the time, that Black churches, um, uh, are, are treated differently than white churches and are allowed to, um, to uh, skirt the Johnson Amendment in ways that uh, white churches, uh, evangelical churches, may not be allowed to do. Um, I think there, you know, there, there, there's no doubt that there have been Johnson Amendment violations uh, within the black church um, it, it's also coming from a much different uh, s- tradition of 
of political mobilization um, and has just played this this much different role throughout history from from slavery through the civil rights era um, and mobilization of voters in a, in itself is not a, a violation of the Johnson mm -hmm. Amendment. You can um, have events where you bring folks to the polls after Sunday services. Where it gets dicey is if, you know, during that uh, mobilization effort or, or in, inside the church during the sermon before that mobilization effort that there is um, a a uh, clear endorsement of, of a particular candidate or, or party. Um, you know, so I, so there is, I think on both sides of the political spectrum, you know, political leaders uh, use the churches, um, you know, to, to, to mobilize their voters um, and in, in some ways sort of a tacit uh, look, uh, uh, you know, on both sides, I, I don't think either side really wants the Johnson Amendment to be 100% uh, enforced by the IRS uh, because that would do something to their to their uh, campaigning and turnout efforts. Can I just uh, can I just weigh in here? Uh, so, so I don't know as a as a late person <laughs> who didn't do the reporting on this, uh, but just in reading it, I mean, what seems very clear is that the the, the rules, while there's like ins and outs of it but are pretty clear on like, hey, here's where, at least in the instances that you covered, Jeremy, it's like pretty clear that they are crossing a line. So with like souls to the polls, like it is fine. Like you provide the transportation as long as you're not saying, hey, vote for uh, candidate A over candidate B, like that's not a violation. But in the sermons, they're very clearly saying, hey, vote for candidate A. And that seems to be sort of, the violation and uh, you know again i didn't do the reporting on the story but it it seems like it's a pretty brazen attempt at it like they know what the rules are and they don't necessarily care and then the other part that i thought was really interesting was the non-profit tax exempt part of this because basically it turns into a also sort of a potential campaign finance story there where like the funders of supporters um, are opaque and we don't know who's funding them. I thought that was another super interesting part of the story. Yeah, that, and that's another one of the big arguments for for keeping the Johnson Amendment in place. Um, this worry that without it, churches would play a much bigger role in, in supporting specific candidates, almost to the degree that a, that a PAC might play. But uh, because... Uh, donations to a church uh, uh, are not required to be disclosed anywhere. Um, you know, it's sort of the specter of this dark money flowing through churches to candidates that the rest of us don't get to see who's who's doing this this supporting. Um, yeah, and that's a, 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 a sort of a, a long-standing argument against um, overturning the Johnson Amendment. All right, let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. Texas Woman's University is focused on making Texas healthier, offering more than 80 health-related degree programs from nursing and physical therapy to kinesiology and nutrition science. Learn more at twu.edu health. And Methodist Healthcare Ministries is committed to health equity. 
striving to create more fair and just opportunities for all to thrive. Learn more at mhm.org. All right. So speaking of that early voting period, it is indeed happening right now. We are in the middle of it. And James, it seems as though early signs, it's obviously hard to tell that maybe turnout um, in in this one around this time around, at least that early voting turnout seems to be a little bit lower than that 2018 number and maybe more comparable to prior midterm elections in Texas before then. What do you make of of what's happening out there now that people have actually started voting? Oh, gosh, Uh, (laughs) that's a tough one because we have limited amount of days so far, but certainly, you know, Early voting turnout is lower um, than it has been in previous years, uh, particularly compared to the 2018 race. Um, That I think uh, people have looked at as a bad sign for Democrats because obviously Democrats made a lot of uh, gains in 2018 with Beto coming so close in that senatorial race against Ted Cruz. And then also they had like 12 House seat pickups um, in the Texas House, uh, that was a great year for Democrats. So, if the voter turnout, I think the the, the logic goes that the voter turnout is bad for de- is bad, or is lower uh, than expected this year. That's going to be bad for Democrats. Um, I don't know. I, I I will caution. You know, we're still early. Early voting is still happening, um, but it does sort of fit into the narrative that perhaps people are less motivated than they have been in previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, that the issues that motivate Democratic voters are not as pertinent this time around, and that the high inflation, uh, high uh, level of problems with border security and immigration are motivating the traditional voters uh, who come out to vote in Texas, who are traditionally Republicans or conservative leaving, conservative-leaning independents, um, and that it could be a rough season for uh, Democrats this election cycle. All that to say, caveat it with, you know, we don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. still early. It's still, you know, we still got a week left of early voting. And who knows, things could turn out. You know, there was bad weather in some of the major cities last week. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. It could be, um, it could be that, you know, Democrats don't feel very motivated to vote. It could be that there were tornadoes and storms in North Texas in the first couple of days, and and that might have slowed things down too. It's it's a dangerous game to be playing the turnout uh, collection. Uh, I haven't uh, voted yet, so if you haven't voted yet, I I too have not voted, and I actually. <laughs> You know, I am one of those weather voters. I was planning on voting Monday morning. And the reason I always want to vote Monday morning is then people won't come knock on my door and try to remind <laughs> me to vote, you know, later in the week. But uh, then I didn't end up doing it. So so who knows? Maybe maybe that could be um, as simple as it is. I mean, James, you know, if, if I'm a Democrat, I'm more worried about the fact that um, it seems like the big topic of conversation right now is the economy and, and people looking at their... Uh, you know, whether it's inflation or looking at their 401ks and seeing them, you know, way smaller than they had been a, a few months ago or things like that. Or, you know, as 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 Eleanor, one of our women's health reporter reported, the seeing those rallies um, in response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade and seeing them not drawing the same crowds that they did in those initial days. It, it does seem like, you know, using another very non-scientific method 
that the conversation has shifted in these last few days in a way that might be concerning for for the the party out of power right now right right i'm i'm pretty down on polling in general <laughs> right now i don't know that it reflects um you know i don't think that systematically it's reflecting an accurate sentiment of uh the electorate um but certainly from the topics of conversation which is what you're talking about it certainly seems like things are going away from the democrats like you're saying abortion was a big rallying cry in august uh but as we know after the kansas vote but as we know two months in politics is an eternity um and certainly republicans uh are very good at messaging and the messaging right now uh, in line with also the economy kind of really being shaky, which played to their advantage, Republicans are very good at controlling the message and, and messaging to voters. So it has been high inflation. Uh, Biden's economic policies aren't doing uh, any good for us. Um, and Texas leaders are much better at this uh, than, than Joe Biden. Um, and then also the border immigration crisis, which has just been a steady um, flow of uh, problems for Democrats uh, for the last, what, year, almost two years since Biden came into office. Those, and, and the polling reflects that, um, you know, inflation is the highest concern. Border security and immigration crisis uh, are frequently at the top. Um, I don't think they're at the top right now. I think inflation actually has become the bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Democrats were really counting on um, abortion to um, sort of tip the scales for them. We have to remember, I mean, abortion is a very, very complicated issue. Um, uh, and in Kansas, they had a strategy that let's just say is very different from what the strategy has been here in Texas when talking about abortion um, to, to, to win that election. So yeah, it's um, certainly by topics of conversation, it is not looking well for Democrats, which is very different. We have to give credit. Like it's very different from where we were in the summer and the summer, the economy was looking like it was like back, you know, the stock market looked good. Um, mm-hmm. It looked like we could achieve that soft landing perhaps. Um, Democrats had had some major wins in Congress uh, with their environmental legislation, or I guess Build Back Better, <laughs> uh, redone the redux of Build Back Better. Um, they had some major wins and they passed gun legislation with the help of Senator John Cornyn, a Republican from here in Texas. And so it was looking good, uh, but maybe they just peaked a little too early. And like I said, a couple of months is an eternity in politics. And so it's a very different conversation right now. Indeed. Well, we will see. We'll have plenty more opportunity to talk about this on our podcast later this week. But that is about the time we have for today. Thank you, James. Thank you to Jeremy. Thank you to our producer, Justin. And thank you to our sponsors, the Texas Association of Community Colleges, the Texas Farm Bureau, Texas Women's University, and Methodist Health Care Ministries of South Texas. We'll talk to you all next week or later this week. Join the Texas Tribune for upcoming events happening in person and online. November 17th and 18th in Lubbock, we'll explore the future of rural Texas with community leaders, local lawmakers, and others. Then, on December 8th in Austin, we'll preview what's to come in the 2023 legislative session and what it will mean for Texans. Learn more and RSVP at texastribune.org slash events.